Welcome to Interdisciplinary. I'm Cal Cates. This is season eight, lovingly called the season of the switch. And we have an amazing guest here with us today. We are going to do what we always do. We're going to say the quiet parts loud. We're going to make you squirm a little bit, make you feel the feels and think the thinks. And we're just going to see what happens. So um, we do uh, have an exciting message from our very first sponsor. Mm -hmm. And Corey has actually been like hopping up and down waiting for her chance to read the sponsor message. So Corey, take it away. Hopping, huh? Okay. Hopping. ABMP Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from EOL. Membership with ABMP offers comprehensive liability insurance along with meaningful resources and support that make a difference in your career, including free CE, in the ABMP Education Center, quick reference apps like Five Minute Muscles and Pocket Pathology, Pocket Suite Scheduling and Booking Software, and the Inspirational Massage and Bodywork Magazine. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Whoop, whoop. Sweet. That was smooth. Well done. <laughs> well done. Uh, so now, of course, the moment you've all been waiting for this week's pun. You know, my wife blocked me on Facebook because I post too many bird puns. Well, two can play at that game. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So on that note, uh, I am so excited to welcome uh, Chase Anderson, I think, back to the podcast. Uh, Chase was maybe with us in the old days before the Just Care conference. Maybe, maybe not. I think that was our first time. I think I mean, you're right. If I like now have implanted myself in your memories, like I'm you totally right. have. It's I've been <laughs> invaded um, by the unicorn of beauty and justice and all the other things. Um, <laughs> Chase, tell us ab all about you. What should we know? Um, I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, first of all, second of all, I think I usually just lead with I'm now an assistant professor at UCSF in child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, and have worked and will be working with kids who are minoritized. Um, so LGBTQ plus or racially minoritized or minoritized in other ways too. Um, and I'm just super excited to be here with all of you um, and to start talking with you. Yay. We, we were thinking of who we wanted to talk with when we were sort of making our list at the beginning of the season. And we were like, oh, we should see if Chase Anderson will come back and play with us. And yay, here you are. <laughs> Thank you. So we're talking about um, code switching uh, this season, Chase, and and we have we've really kind of been all over the map with it in terms of what it is, what it isn't. Uh, sort of hovering around a definition. There are lots of definitions, of course, out there on the interwebs and um, in people's minds. But uh, as a person who is possessed of a variety of identity intersections and someone who has um i mean when you when you write things under a pseudonym that's like a, a special kind of code switching so um mm -hmm. i i know that that's one of the things that you have done in your work and it's really where do you want to start i mean you're you're probably unfortunately sort of a, a code switching aficionado <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I don't know. I think we code switch in so many ways. It's not just for me about like being African-American or like being gay and like, or part of the LGBTQ plus community. I think those are pieces of me, but also like being a psychiatrist, you code switch into certain things. 
Um, sometimes people code switch for safety. Sometimes it's just to blend in a little bit more. So I think there are many different reasons for code switching that are really important to think about as well. And are we code switching for safety in a way that we are so worried about being ourselves in certain environments and things like that? So I think there's so many different ways we could go as well. I'm open to all of them. Well, I, no, I'm thinking about the, the guest that we had on last week's podcast, um, Harry Pickens, who was talking about um, code switching for for safety um, as being a black man in America. And in his case, being an exceptionally tall <laughs> black man and kind of code switched, switching in some ways for other people's safety. Yeah. Um, is that uh, has that been your experience? Mine, so I think for being gay sometimes, I remember I like would I played soccer and did track when I was younger and things like that. Um, and I remember getting called like homophobic slurs by my own high school teammates sometimes. Um, and so like code like it wasn't a linguistics way of doing it necessarily, but I code switched into like trying to not like be as gay around people, um, at least on the soccer team. I changed in a different area, things like that too. Um, sometimes I would try to drop my voice a little bit so it would seem less gay. Um, now like I do whatever and I don't care. <laughs> but like, I think sometimes, especially for kids, that's a big thing that they have to do, um, especially if they're LGBTQ plus or racially minoritized in certain ways. Um, the way I think about it too, for kids who are going to schools, like they hear from the get-go if they're black like in at a higher powered school oh it was affirmative action oh you're not as smart so then they have to code switch in a lot of ways to like how they speak how they talk about things how they don't talk about certain topics um i think that happens a lot in every day yeah that was another thing that came up with with harry was um like being excellent as a way of, of fitting in that is a, this particular burden, like you have to be twice as good if you're in a minoritized group, twice as, as, as good to get half as much recognition as I think what Harry said. Yeah, that's um, an old adage who like almost every African-American person will know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and, and I, I am curious about, because you do also work with children, um, what you see as, um, like long-term ramifications of this on development? Um. Um, I would think about even development for the gay community, like as a whole. Um, one of the things I've talked with friends about and even talked with like other faculty and stuff about is think about like when you were in high school and coming out as LGBTQ+, did you like have the opportunity for a relationship, like an intimate relationship or a relationship that was open? So sometimes like we get older and then we as gay people start doing those things a little bit later. So I think one of the things like to have to code switch every day in high school, sometimes you don't get to meet other people who are like you, you don't get to see those mentors. So then later on, you're going through some of those stages that other people have gotten the experience already. Um, that's one way I think about ramifications. The other thing is just code switching in and of itself and having to adapt it puts a different cognitive load on a person. Um, so we think about like, if you're, let's, we're gonna take my, like me being black and gay. Um, in high school, like I had to think about doing well in school, but I also had to think about fitting in 
how to like be African-American in certain ways in a very white school, how to be like gay in a school where I think there were only three out people um, out of our whole like high school um, at the beginning. And that adds another like cognitive load because you're having to like figure out how to fit in while also like doing well. Um, so that can lead to like things like anxiety for people. It can lead to also depression for people as well. Um, one of the things I always wanna keep in mind is that if somebody has an underlying psychological thing, disorder or like burgeoning, just having to code switch and all that anxiety around it can set off a lot of things for people. Um, I hope that all made sense. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yes, like scientifically, um, <laughs> right? Like it's yeah. like, when will we get tired of this or enough tired of it to really be like, you guys, aren't you exhausted? Like all of you? I mean, cause there's maybe four people who fit the white supremacist ideal <laughs> and the rest of us are just like doing this hamster wheel thing and not noticing. Yeah. And honestly, people just want to live like LGBTQ plus people, minoritized people. We just want to live and not be bothered by other people. Um, I think we forget that, that like, it's the hamster wheel that you're talking about. And it's also the amount of effort everybody has to put in every day to try to fit in. Why not just let people be themselves? Yeah. I, I wonder, so we were talking uh, with Harry last week about uh, when his mom was sick and dying and sort of the experience of being a six, nine black man walking into a doctor's office um, with a white physician to talk about the care of your elderly black mother. And we were talking about the the sort of, my brain wants to call it the reverse code switch that I feel like you alluded to a little bit in the beginning where as a provider, you do a type of code switching. And I mean, and you're sort of talking about like, is it unprofessional to, I don't know, do things that you would just do when you're being yourself, right? And not do those things. But as a provider, do you find yourself like, if you're working with a patient who's like particularly out or particularly not out or like, do you, do you find yourself adapting to sort of mirror that or what, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. Um, so I used to code switch more in like back in the day when I was doing like my medical training, when I was doing residency, but as time went on, I actually learned that the best thing for me was to be myself in the room. Um, and so like, obviously there are certain things you don't say like when you're working with patients. <laughs> However, right. like you can still be a normal human being. Um, and so I actually did not reverse code switching, I would say, but as time has gone on, I have become more myself in the room. Um, and I think that is the best thing that we can do for people we work with um, and people we're interacting with is being our, yourself. It helps them think to themselves, like maybe I can be myself a little bit more. So like I show up to like patient appointments with like colored hair and like my nails done and all the kids were like, we love this. Um, I did not have a single kid who had an issue with it. Some of them have even come out because of it. Like they're like, it's, oh, like, Clearly we can talk about this stuff. Um, the other thing is I actually get a lot of parents. Um, I don't know if this is just SF, but I get parents who are like, it's nice to finally have like a openly gay physician. Um, so that would be, I would say not a reverse code switching, but more of a being yourself as time goes on. Yeah. 
Jace, did I, you find that something happened first? Like, did you just one day decide, you know, I'm kind of done and I'm tired and I'm just, I'm just going to be me? Or were there like little pieces of you that came out and you noticed that that had an effect on other people? Yeah, um, I love that question too. Um, because like, as a psychiatrist, I'm all about the story. So I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> I think, so I had gone to MIT and I felt like that was the first place I didn't have to code switch. Um, Cause like the way I describe MIT, I think it's different now, obviously, but overall it's like, they take all these people who got abused in high school who are like little nerds. And they're like, here's a little place that you can be like little nerds and like little derp derp nerds and like think you're all cool and stuff because like being nerdy is fun and like that was where that came about I think I didn't have to code switch um and I it's not to say there weren't issues at the beginning but by the end like I had friends across all different social groups um and all of it was more rare for somebody to be mean actually and so I left MIT being like oh the world is ready like I can be out and black and gay and all this other stuff oh that's so cute yeah I know then I was like <laughs> oh my god America is a mess um so then in med school I think I noticed myself like my clothing coloring was changing it was becoming darker like I wanted to blend in and not stand out um and then I think as time went on I just got, I got tired of it. I was like, I remember what it was like at MIT. And I don't think that was, I was like, you being yourself and other people being themselves at MIT in a kind way is not wrong. What's wrong is what's going on right now that everybody's code switching and trying to fit into this like paradigm that doesn't work as we've seen. Um, so why not start being yourself a little bit more? Um, so I have an earring and I got that at the the first summer after my first year of med school because I was like you need to remind yourself to like rebel a little bit um so I think it was like multiple little moments but I always anchored back to like MIT was this environment of like you don't have to code switch anymore like let's see who people can be when they're supported in like who they are boy what a novel concept <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, letting people not be bothered by your issues, like, right. who, who, yeah, how yeah. dare you? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've heard from from several people, both this season and previously, about having um, encountering a space in their life, whether it was like for you, it was MIT, um, you know, or or. Uh, in, there's a governor's school for the arts in Kentucky and that's where a lot of the weird kids find their space you know and um and and it makes me curious about what we as providers of care and people who are moving around in the world wanting it to be better um can do to help make that space um because all the spaces at least that I've heard about there's a certain amount of access involved that is not available yeah. to everyone so um i mean are there things that that you see that help like the kids that you help or other folk yeah i think the first thing i would go back to is like being myself in the room um in psychiatry the old school teaching was like you're a blank slate and like you want to be like just a mirror to your patients and like that works for some people but a lot of people want somebody to be themselves in the room 
um, mm-hmm. and like have real emotions. And so like, that's why I do my hair. That's why I do other things because I'm showing you that like, I know you're going to have your own thoughts about who I present as and other things. And I'm going to show you that I can handle all of that and it's okay. So you can start being yourself. Um, I think so using, leveraging yourself and your identities um, to just be yourself is really important. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, second is like, how do you do intake forms? How do you like have things that say like, oh, maybe like, I don't want to be touched or talk about these certain topics in this way and things like that. How do you show that you're thinking about the other person um, and setting a tone at the beginning? So like intake forms are part of that. The other thing I always think about is how many pictures of different types of families are there on the walls? Or like, how do you show that we accept all types of body types here, all different types of people, all ethnicities, all religions? How is that seen in the office? Um, How is that seen in the space that you're building? Um, So like, for me, it's like, I'm using myself and my nails and like other things. So I'm like, oh, I must, I will be a safer space, hopefully for you. Um, But intake forms are another thing. I think the other thing is, how do you actually talk about like being minoritized or things like that? How do you have those discussions? Are they, are there people in your office who are talking about those things already? So when like patients come through or people that you work with come through, they hear that these are kind of normal discussions to be happening in that space. Um, I've seen how me just talking a little bit about myself around patients also helps. So self-disclosure is the other thing. Um, I talk about like I was going on vacation and we talked about where I was going. Um, I've shared sometimes a little bit about my experiences growing up and like being minoritized in different ways. So I think also self-disclosure is a big thing too. Um, I'm open to any other thoughts that all of you have too. And I hope that all made sense too. (laughs) Absolutely. There's actually been a really great conversation happening in our community about intake forms and um, the question of asking people about trauma and not making it like a demand that you speak of your trauma or... Um, that you're expected to, but like, how do you word it so that there is space for someone to talk to you about something if they feel they need to? Um, That was quite a long conversation, actually, and there were many good ideas that came out of it. Yeah, I think there's so many different ways to come at things. Like, some of them are like, clearly like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do it this way. But I think there's so many different ways of doing things like intake forms, of self-disclosing, of like setting your office space and like having different representations of people. I usually think there isn't just one way to tackle things and let's be nuanced. So as many people as possible feel like this is a good space for them. How do you, in your practice, cause I'm thinking about, you know, um, the, the truth that everyone feels unseen um, and that, you know, obviously I imagine that you get this too. Like I will often say like, people are like, oh, you're so you. And I'm like, well, that's cause me is weird. Like it's real obvious to see that I'm me, right? That, and, but like, there are other people who feel quite at home in what's sort of culturally expected and, and are being themselves, but who don't get that kind of sort of those accolades. And I, I wonder about like, do you have patients who are like, cisgendered heterosexual kids who come from like straight families and whatever who you know can you talk about how those kids receive you and how what happens inside you when you're like oh okay 
yeah, this is my usual demographic. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I love that question because so like most of the patients I had worked with um, for adult residency were like straight, white, like I did have some LGBTQ plus people. And when I did my child rotation for residency, that's why I saw more like kids who were coming out or like came out during like the process. But a lot of the adults were like straight and white. And I remember at the beginning, I was like, what the heck am I supposed to talk about? And I was like, oh, you have a lot of straight friends and you have white friends and you have friends of all like groups. Like you just treat them like any other person. I think what can happen is when I'm working with people who are minoritized and things like that, yes, we have a different kind of connection in some ways. However, like one of my kids, I worked with him for two years. And so he's staying in the clinic um, because the kids who come with me are mainly minoritized. Um, but so he's going to stay in the clinic with like a new provider and things like that. But at the end, he and I were talking and he's like, it was just so easy to get along with you. And like, his mom was like, I have like, you've been our like best psychiatrist that we've had. And we love that you were just you. Um, so I think that was like the biggest thing is it was a good feedback of like, just being yourself, even with people who are like straight and white, they shouldn't look to you to be a teaching example, but they can learn by your example, um, just by seeing how you like move in the world and you're are yourself. And sometimes it gives like straight white people a little bit more chance to be like, oh, maybe I could push my boundaries a little bit, or I could explore who I am a little bit more. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a thing that happens sometimes with with um, straight white people, of which I am one. Um, <laughs> that not um, your fault. I, I, thank you. You were, you were born that way. Yeah, I we're very accepting here, <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, but it's it's like you know, fish don't know what water is. Like you you know, if you're swimming in the culture and the culture um, is basically made for your comfort. <laughs> It, it's hard to see how it might also be harming you um, or holding you back in some way. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's one of those, what is the broadening of your experiences? What are your experiences? How do you, how do we teach people from an early age? It's okay to explore outside the boundaries of like where you're born. And that means internally, externally, with other groups, with other people. Um, going to MIT, I was actually, I didn't know I was very economically privileged and like just privileged socially in some ways and educationally. And then I met kids who were like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for college here, but I still wanna be here and help change the world. And I was like, oh, like it was a broadening. People have to be open to that. So I think what can happen is if you're stuck in a certain type of group for too long, you stagnate a little bit and then other things like coming in that are different seem like a threat, even if it's not. Um, so how do we start that process a little bit earlier? Um, and that's like exposure to like different types of families on TV, newspapers. How do newspapers talk about like minoritized people or how do they reinforce stereotypes and things like that? Um, so that's a little bit of what I would say on those fronts as well. Yeah. So Chase, um, <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about uh, like, at MIT, you're surrounded by, or that like when we surround ourselves with the same people, we're sort of in this place. And I wonder, I notice myself 
certainly like in the last couple of years as we've really expanded what we do with this podcast and just kind of the messaging that comes out of Heal Well is is unapologetically like, hey, show up to this or like, don't come to our party. And um, or like, you know, you can sit on the front step and we'll bring you drinks, but at some point you got to come in. Um, and I wonder about, I do my best to sort of know what's out there, but to surround myself with the mirrors that I need to know that I'm on the right track and to feel like there is nothing wrong with me. And that in fact, there's a lot that's right with me that is worth sharing. And there's a lot that's right about what we're saying. And so I wonder if you could talk about if you have any experience of like my my brain is conjuring this image of a tiny puppy running toward a split rail fence, thinking it can clear the bottom rail and just getting its like back leg stuck and just like hanging there. And like that sometimes I'll go into settings where I'm like, people are gonna love this. And like, you just get like the blank stare or you even get like people are like, that's crazy. Like, I don't need you shoving this down my throat. I don't need. And so like, it doesn't necessarily make me go, oh geez, like I need to rethink my message. But I forget that where I am and where many of the people that I spend the most my time with are really envisioning and doing our best to live in what we envision. And that that's a minority of people, I think. And so like, how do you, I'm sure that you have that experience because you've got, you're surrounded by like love and affirmation and like, you know, the people in your close life. And then like you go out there in the world and you're like, oh, oh, these people don't (laughs) adore me. This is, not what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, I actually do partition things a little bit in the way I think about things. I'm like, okay, on Twitter, I am represented in this certain way. And this plays to certain parts of this aspects of myself. This is one mirror, like one sliver of who I am. And I just have to recognize that. I don't have to do anything about it. Like I could if I wanted to. Um, but like, I like how my things run on Twitter. I like how I interact with people. I like how I don't interact with people I don't need to. Um, <laughs> I like how I set my limits there overall. Um, there's always room for progress and things like that and change, but I like that. And I like the awareness that I have around it. And so with other groups, like with my colleagues who are psychiatrists and things like that, I move in a certain way. And I'm just, I'm content with how I move in all those places. Um, Obviously, like, I always want to grow in each one of them. And, like, how I grow with my family will be different. How I grow online, how I grow with, like, my work life. Um, So thinking about just, like, it's okay to have, like, different aspects of yourself show up in different places. And you mentioned, like, sometimes you show up to groups and people are like, what? And... But that's like, sometimes I know it takes a little bit of time for some people to get used to me or like for me to get used to them. And how do they treat me during that process? How do we treat each other? If we treat each other respectfully, like, great. Like you can ask me questions. I might tell you like, hey, I don't want to talk about this aspect of myself right now, but it doesn't mean I won't want to talk about it later. Um, So there's that. And like, how do they let me into their life? Because like, I might be sometimes the first gay, openly gay person they've met. How do they treat me? And I also want to be understanding of their journey and also be open with them. And how are we respectful during that process um, is my big thing. I give people a lot of chances or I try to, um, but at a certain point you have to cut it off. Um, if people keep showing bad behavior, 
Yeah. So if you show up to that kind of group and that keeps happening, then that's when I'm like, I need to step away until they are at a place where they are healed and able to be themselves a little bit more and be kind. Um, so that's how I think about those dynamics. Um, and I love that question because we have different facets we show different people. One of the things that has come up a lot in our conversations about code switching is whether or not it's harmful and if it's harmful, where it's harmful. Um, and from what you just said about your different facets, you have figured out a way to be yourself and all of yourself, but maybe only in specific places. Um, yeah. For me, it's been a, basically all places actually now. I get to bring a little bit of myself in. It's because I crafted those spaces or I like worked with other people or I recognized what I needed. And like, this is my huge shout out for like, everybody should go to therapy. Cause that's like partly where Amen. you kind of stuff. <laughs> like, I think we, people have expectations about therapy. Like it's gonna fix me, it's gonna do this, it's gonna do that. But I think what therapy does is it takes that jumble that you've been running around in your mind for like years and years and years, brings it out of you and then like helps you internalize a new way of looking at it. And like, then that's just building awareness. You don't have to do anything about it, but just that awareness changes you. Um, so I think therapy is hugely important for that kind of stuff. Um, but I think also what you were saying about like the different facets, that comes, that comes up a lot, but I get to bring myself to each one of them in different ways um, is how I think about it. And I think I also have the luckiness of like, I've lived and like gotten to do a lot of different things. So I started figuring out like what makes me happy, what brings, what sparks joy, I guess is the other thing. Um, I hope that answers that question a little bit. I can dive more into any part of it if you want me to. Um, I think what I was concerned about is people who don't have a place for all facets, I guess. And you are clearly very big on agency and not being content with the situation that you are given. So what would you say to people who don't know what to do with the situation they're given? Ooh, yeah. Um, for me, that actually was partly my medical school experience. I was like, oh my God, like, I never want, I want, I want to quit. I want to leave. Like, I want to run back to my friends at MIT and just like being there in their arms and like cry. And then I want to be like, America is an unsafe place. I need to get the heck out. Um, but during that time, I like figured out who were my allies. Um, I love a lot of my time in medical school and I love a lot of the people I met there. It was just that the bad parts were bad. Um, and so what I started doing throughout that was like, who are the like allies who actually stand up for me in the ways I need? Um, and that sometimes that's hard to find. Like you're saying, you brought up an excellent point, Corey, of thinking about like, not everybody has these different pieces that are just there for them or that they can build. Um, and so I think that's another reason to like be in therapy if you can be, um, because at least that's an hour out of every like week that you can have a space to be yourself a little bit more. I say that with a caveat of knowing finding a therapist is really hard right now. And it's like expensive and sometimes it's not covered. So we need to think about obviously systems issues that are going on too. Um, but how does that person ground themselves in themselves is what I would say. Um, how are you taking time for yourself each day that if you can, um, or like even five minutes of like, you get to think about who you are as a person in your identity. Um, 
so I would say to that just basically how is that person grounding themselves in themselves um and because you brought up it's such a good point that there are so many kids who don't have space safe spaces there are adults who don't have safe spaces um one how do we get to those people to help give them a safe space but also them grounding themselves in their identity in the ways that they can and being gentle with themselves when there are certain things they can't show about themselves yet um i think that's another thing we forget is just being gentle with yourself as you go through this um i hope that answers that a little bit more that was great <laughs> okay i don't know if this is something that you you deal with but i i having a 12 year old son who has recently shared with us that they feel non-binary um i'm really attuned to the like idea that people are like oh well, well you're non-binary so they just think that they're non-binary because you're non-binary and they like look up to you and I'm like so first of all I, I don't know I think like until you're at least 20 we're all non-binary um at least um but and maybe we're all non-binary anyway but that's another podcast um uh, how how do you it feels like maybe it's like motivational interviewing or I don't know how you would how do you when you see a kid who is really like can't even see for themselves that they are in the clutches of the code switch or of just like culture says what you feel like you are doesn't get to be so uh, how because obviously you're not like I think that you're not admitting that you're gay like right that's not how it goes so like things not to do <laughs> exactly I appreciate that I appreciate that about therapists um <laughs> My psychiatrist has never said that to me, um, but how, what do you do with, cause I feel like, I feel like more kids, my son's age are willing to consider that what culture has given them on this very small a la carte platter is not adequate. And um, how do you talk with people who think what I just suggested that like, you know, oh, it's a fad and whatever. And how do you really support kids who are clearly already quite skilled at code switching and like you can see them missing a chance to grow into themselves and like how do you do that yeah so i'll i'm gonna break this question into two parts and i think the first part you brought up is like talking to parents and things like that and talking to people who might not get it as much um and I can do several different things. I think there's different techniques and maneuvers and ways of like presenting things to somebody in a way that they understand, internalize, and then maybe change their behavior if they need to. Um, some parents, I will talk about just the mental health outcomes of supporting your child who's LGBTQ plus. Like you don't have to like be going to like pride parades and things like that. It would be great if you did take your kid to those and they, if they wanna go. But I will talk about how having one accepting adult decreases suicidality in LGBTQ plus teens by like 40 to 50%. Wow. Um, yeah, just respecting pronouns can decrease suicidality as well. So when parents bring their kid to me and the kid is talking about like what they have to do with code switching, what they have to do with bullying at school, being LGBTQ plus, first I ask them like, have they talked to like people about this and how open are they? Um, but then I will talk to parents about like, hey, your kid is going through this really hard time. They're having suicidality because of these factors. And here are some ways to support them. And like, this will decrease the suicidality. Um, 
So sometimes it's for parents, it's like stats. Some people are just like, I need the data. Um, Sometimes I will talk about emotions and I will figure out like in your family, did you have other like family members who were gay who like went through like the AIDS crisis? And so like you're projecting some of those fears and anxieties onto your child. Are you looking at the news and your child is transgender and you're worried about like all the anti-trans bills that are going across the country and how we're not supporting trans people enough? Um, And then you're putting those fears on your child, whereas like the one thing, the best thing a parent can do is just support their child. Um, And I go back to the emotions of it for them on those circumstances. Um, So there's that. So it's like the data piece, the emotional piece. Sometimes I use like both, obviously, and like I try to blend things together. Um, And then I also just think about the way I think about it is parents should be accepting like at baseline, like, why did you have a kid if you only wanted your kid to be a certain way? Um, Now that comes with a lot of like, sometimes parents are fearful. Sometimes parents just don't have the understanding. Sometimes they just need time. Um, So how do I validate the parents' context of their experience while also saying you need to support your kid? So I think about those kind of dynamics too. Um, And then I also think about, I talk to parents about this, like, this is your kid. Like you wanted to be there with them. You wanted to have a kid that you were close with. Like your kid is not any different. They are just revealing more parts to you that you yourself did not expect. And that's not your kid's issue. Um, I say this obviously in a nicer way. (laughs) I say it a little bit differently, but some parents I have been a little bit more blunt. And it just, I think it's a nuanced conversation in many different ways with different parents because everybody comes in with their narrative and their worries and anxieties for their kids, their worries and anxieties and lack of understanding sometimes for themselves and what their kid is going through. And sometimes people's first reactions aren't the best, but how do we bring it back to like, you love your kid? Um, And how do you change your ways a little bit so your kid feels a little bit safer? Because the best thing parents can do is provide a safe space for kids at home. Um, So there was that question with parents. With kids, I've had kids who I think to myself, like what we're actually seeing is we are seeing like more people are coming out and things like that and coming out at an earlier age. Um, But I also think to myself, like, maybe the reason is because we're getting to finally see, like, openly, like, LGBTQ plus adults, teenagers, like, we're seeing that earlier. So kids are now being like, oh, I have more license to explore myself because it's a little bit more normalized in society. Um, But I have kids who, like, I would wonder if they might be lgbtq plus later but that's also me thinking about stereotypes in some ways so i'm always like my kids could come out to me at any time and like that's that's a different tone of like then it's not about the stereotypes that we're like picking up on or like the visual cues or like the more feminine things that people do because my role is like yes we all have those automatic thoughts that happen but for me for myself as a person working with kids i'm always like take a step back like this is just a kid who like you have no idea how they're exploring things. Like I played with Barbies and I played with trains. Like I could have done whatever. Um, and kids are seeing that and exploring more much earlier, um, which is really cool. And the kids who maybe don't feel safe being themselves yet, the best thing I've seen and the thing I do is I just, I'm still myself with them. Um, like I will 
I always start each like time I meet a new kid with like talking about a little bit about like their pronouns and like what pronouns they have. I also say like, hey, this may change as time goes on. If your pronouns change or like right now you are identifying as straight, if this changes, I am always here for you to let me know because I want to be respectful of you and your journey. Um, I've had some kids come out later on. And so it's about sitting with somebody in their journey and letting them have that journey um, is the thing I think about for that aspect of things. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I, you know, when you said like, why did you have a kid if you wanted them to be one way? We do everything because we want it to be one way, right? Like, I mean... <laughs> That's so how therapy to hold that's how, right. I mean, the world never meets our expectations ever, mm-hmm. ever. Um, and I, I, do, I feel like we talk a lot. We haven't talked a lot this season about it, but like the, the problem of humans desperately needing certainty, and that you know you can understand parents in particular wanting to get it right. And they're like, you know, I just learned they, and now you're she again, like, wow, you know, and it's (laughs) like, you know, go have that tantrum somewhere else. I get it. And also this is not for your kid to deal with. Nope. Yeah. I think it's, um, I love that you brought up, like, we want things to be one way, or we want like people to be one way. Like people see, that's where a lot of these implicit biases come from when somebody shows up and challenges those biases or embraces what are like stereotypes then like they're just basically playing into like what you're already thinking about them but if somebody pushes at those stereotypes or like even like I was saying like embraces them fully then what can happen is it like challenges that other person um and then they can lash out in very unpleasant ways but like take that somewhere else yeah not our job to coddle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Or a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to go back and you could tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but when you were talking about, you know, you're seeing more kids come out and more kids sort of on the gender spectrum or on the sexuality spectrum. And it's because we have more sort of role models. I, I, I feel like, I feel the, like the sheriff part of me wanting to say to people like, so it's not that it occurs to you to be that way because so-and-so is that way. It's that you're allowed to be what you're actually feeling because clearly someone else has been able to do that. And I feel like that's what's happening is there's this opening to like, the binary has always been a lie. And now people are like, oh, like it really is a spectrum. Oh, like Kinsey maybe knew something. And like, maybe this is all worth discussing that we're nuanced and kids are saying like, I don't want to get in that box. Like I'm tired of being told that I have to wear this or say that or whatever. And I, I appreciate the intolerance that seems to be coming with this <laughs> next generation. Yeah. I yeah. think it's great. I think they are very much like, Hey, the like oceans are rising. The glaciers are melting. Like we have other things to worry about besides my pronouns and like how I'm still the nice person that you knew you just have some biases you need to work through. Right. Um, I love seeing the new generation just being like, all right, whatever. Um, and I think you're like, it, we have not just old, like newer role models um, and like more role models, but I think kids are just becoming more savvy earlier of like, hey, I don't need to do this rigmarole of like fitting into this like horrible system that is built not to help people in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So I think that's also coming up 
in a lot of ways is just like the newer generation is tired already <laughs> they have other things to do yeah yeah we recorded a podcast yesterday and discussed the um Gen X theme of whatever never mind <laughs> and I feel like the younger generation is also whatever never mind <laughs> well I think context. <laughs> I yeah I think the younger generation is is whatever never mind with more of a social consci conscience yeah yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that like As being a We were just itself. over yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like, we could be dead in five years. We have yeah. no time to waste. <laughs> yeah. We did. We're, we got no time for your BS. Yeah. <laughs> Do something about the planet. Yeah. Liberation now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's sad in some ways. And it's nice that like they are much savvier earlier um, and much more thoughtful earlier. I met with somebody about their college applications recently, and he was wearing this shirt that just like said like Black Lives Matter on it. I was like, I would have never worn that in high school because like it wouldn't have been safe. And like, but he was just doing it and like very comfortable doing it. So like, that's such a beautiful thing to get to see of the our next generations getting more open and more tolerant more quickly not to say that like there aren't pockets and there aren't like issues still because like every generation will have its issues um but that's one of the things i love seeing um and getting to work with kids around is like what is your identity now that you like know it a little bit earlier how do we like do all that stuff and like get you to the part where you just have fun with it people think of this thing called a social contagion um yeah, it's very yes. big. Yeah, I was like, there's something you were mentioning. Um, I didn't I didn't want to like make you talk about Jack's paper, but no, 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 no. I mean, OK, <laughs> you are not making me talk about Jack Turbin. <laughs> I love talking about Jack Turbin because he's wonderful and yes. is amazing every which way. Um, he's my trans superhero, even though he's not trans. Right. He's just, <laughs> he made his life trying to help others. So like he and his papers are phenomenal. Um, yeah. And I like that we're getting to see other people present things now too. And like, we're getting to see other trans people like hopefully get in the space too. Um, and hopefully we can create that space a little bit more. Um, but with the social contagion, it's not a thing. Um, like nobody who's LGBTQ plus like looks at like how we treat LGBTQ plus people in the world is like so I yeah, want that yeah I want this for attention <laughs> like I really I'm doing it just for attention like it's so cool to be queer now yes it's always been cool to be queer but that comes with like other things that people have to deal with like the code switching like the discrimination so no LGBTQ plus person or like no straight person would look at the world and be like yeah I want to be treated that way just for some random thing um so social contagion is not a thing people are just getting to explore earlier yeah um, that was the other part of what I wanted to say I was like there's another part to this like yeah yeah we're just this is even on kids radar like I don't it did not even occur like I didn't know I was gay till my lips were on another woman's lips and I was like oh that how'd I miss that like I I can't even believe that my kids friends are talking at like 10 11 12 years old about how they're pan and buy and whatever and i'm like how do we even know these words like i don't can you tell me what that means i don't understand right they keep up with lingo so much more quickly um, definitely which yes. like understandable we just didn't have some of this language back in the day and yeah. it's like on us to pick it up a little bit and like yeah. get on board with it because like we can 
create a better sphere of like accepting people earlier. So, yeah. Do you have advice for healthcare providers sort of writ large about code switching? How to spot it, how to hear what people aren't saying? Like what, what is, we know it's a thing, um, but why does it matter and what can we do to make it go away? <laughs> I think it matters because it leads to worse mental health outcomes for people when they have to keep having all that cognitive load and like extra load and like working load and all that stuff. Um, I think the other reason it matters is because that means that that space is not safe enough yet for that person to be themselves. Um, yes, we all like code switch a little bit and we all like have different faces we wear, but when it's becoming like, like the only face that that person is wearing and they don't feel safe to be themselves, think about having to hold all that in. Um, so I think the way to recognize it, and I have to add a caveat to this, but like when you have meetings, who is speaking, who is given room to speak, who is asked like directly to speak, who talks over other people? Does that happen? Um, yeah. I say that with a caveat that like some people in meetings, like some people are introvert and they like have no wish to talk and like they definitely want to speak at all. So like, thinking about that, there will be that aspect too, but like, it's sometimes noticeable, like it's the African-American people in the room who are not talking because they get talked over, they get told that their ideas aren't great. And then somebody white presents the same idea. And it's amazing. The best idea we've ever had. Who, why didn't we think of this earlier? Exactly. Um, right. Think about who also like feels, who presents themselves in the room. Um, because like, think about how people resent in meetings versus not at meetings, like things like that. Um, so I think just being more aware um, is the advice that I would give. So like see how people talk, who they talk to, how they like sit with each other in different groups and things like that. Um, so that's what I would say in terms of like, just being more aware. And that's the advice I would give um, because you have a opportunity to recognize it and then be yourself a little bit more. So maybe it lets that person be themselves a little bit more too. Yeah. I mean, what hap What would happen if being ourselves was healthcare? Like, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like that's sort of what you're saying is like, we are providing healing just by being as authentic as we can. And then we get to be a psychiatrist or a massage therapist or whatever. But like the, the, the bedrock of what we're offering is a mirror that's worth looking in and that like would inspire another person to like just let go of some of that nervous system overload yeah because like let me tell you when you're code switching your nervous system is going yeah 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 i um I, it's been a it's been a fun season and uh we've got a few more folks who are going to come on and talk about code switching in academia and how, yeah, and how you have to, you know, be smart, use white people talk, all the stuff like you have to really, I mean, yeah, know a different or, language. Yes, blend yeah. in to survive. Totally. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think we, we might be wrapping up, but what are you, how much longer is your vacation? Uh, so I have another week. I start September 1st. Awesome. Uh, and, and you're going back to a private practice. No, no, no. Um, so I'll be at UCSF. Um, oh, okay. Full time. Yeah, full-time UCSF. Wow. So how many classes? Um, so it's not classes anymore. I'm just in attending. And so I get to awesome. work with patients and like do my thing. 
So as a, did I, did I hear you say that you're like your faculty? Yes. But you're teaching residents. So I'll be teaching residents, fellows. I'll be also like working with my mentors and building a clinic specifically for minoritized kids and things like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yay. I'm super excited. I'm Um, so excited. You're going to be doing that. Me too. And also I live with Jack now. Um, I was wondering about that. It looked like you guys were talking about like your guest room and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's fun. You and Cody and Jack live in the life. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, You all are always welcome to come stay in our unicorn suite room that we have. Oh, that is excellent. (laughs) It looks quite cozy. It is. Um, Corey, do you have any other questions um, besides like, why are Samoyeds so cute? Because that's what kind of dog Jack has. So cute. Cody and Cody offers mental health advice on Instagram right and like dosing advice about like mental health meds it's really he's good yeah yeah Cody is like Aria trained professional (laughs) excellent (laughs) yes bitch does not code switch for anybody no dogs are dogs she is using all the pronouns and they are like living oh my gosh that's (laughs) awesome uh, we were looking at a website the other day and someone's service dog was head of human resources human resources human resources oh that's right the the yes that woman who yeah. hopefully is going to come and talk with us yes um, about disability and code switching Ooh. Mm-hmm. love it yes indeed um well friends this has been another episode of interdisciplinary and um yeah, we're going to threaten Chase just like we do all of our guests that we'll have you back uh, at some point in the future because we just can't get enough. And uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your beautiful unicorn heart with us. We appreciate you listening and would appreciate even more being in conversation with you. You can continue the conversation with us at podcast.healwell.org or in the Healwell community. That's community.healwell.org. And consider joining our Patreon for early access to episodes, lots of fun bonus material, and occasional silliness. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, And you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.